Hey friends, Daniel Schreiner here with the Disciple Henson Podcast. Happy March to you. We thought we would start off the month of March by talking about the doctrine of God in David Wells' book, God in the Whirlwind. Mark Whitcomb and I jointly hosted this show, so hope you like the change of pace and you are helped in your discipleship as you listen to Whitcomb on Wells in the Whirlwind. Hey, Mark. Hey, Dan. You and I read a book recently. Yes, we did. Big accomplishment. It didn't have any pictures, though. Uh, I drew some in mine. Oh. Made it better. Cool. Mine didn't have it. I didn't draw in mine. I did some underlining. But we had a fruitful discussion about this book with some guys at the church last night up on the fourth floor. You led that discussion. Yeah, it was a good group of guys and uh, a lot of fun to be discussing books here throughout this year. Our goal is to do a book a month. And uh, so last month we read about scripture, the doctrine of scripture with uh, J.I. Packer's Fundamentalism and the Word of God. This month was the doctrine of God, and we read David F. Wells' God in the Whirlwind, How the Holy Love of God Reorients Our World. Uh, David Wells was one of Michael's professors at Gordon-Conwell. Have you ever met the dude? I have not. Me neither. On a scale of 1 to 10, how well did you lead that discussion last night, Mark? <laughs> well, uh, my self-evaluation, I'd, I'd give it a solid 5, maybe 6. Mm. Um, we had a good conversation. It was a good conversation. Yeah. It would have been better had uh, the guy sitting across the table from me right now hadn't spoken so much. But um, <laughs> I, would give you, I would give you more like a 7.5 to an 8. Nice. I appreciate that generous uh, reading. So mm-hmm. how would you like the book? How would you score the book on like a one to 10? I'd give it an, if the Bible's a 10 and the Bible takes is the only thing really that's a 10, I would maybe say this book was like an eight. Yeah. But that, there's a lot of Bible in here. Oh, absolutely. So maybe it's like a nine. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's about the same. Somewhere around an eight, nine. I mean, it, it's such a helpful book. Who should read this book? You know, uh, I mean, the reality is uh, this is a great book for anybody to pick up and read, but particularly those who are in the church uh, and call themselves Christians. They, they should read a book like this to uh, be compelled in their own thinking about what does it truly mean to be a Christian? What does that Christian walk look like? I agree. You know, I, I often think this when I read a good book that casts like a glorious, beautiful picture of who God is in the gospel. I think, man, I have, there's like non-Christian friends and family. I wish that they would read this book. Hmm. Um, and I thought that throughout. I, it'd be interesting to give this book to a non-Christian. It'd yeah. have to be a kind of like a, probably a non-Christian who's, well, who likes to read one and likes sure. to read books without pictures and uh, maybe is a little more intellectual or philosophical, maybe. Yeah, I, I would say an unbeliever that's at least aware of like an evangelical conversation. Sure. Who God is. Sure. Yeah. Because then there might be some foreign ideas to a non-believer. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe the the bigger question is like, why read this book? So how how would you answer that question? It's a good question. I don't think we think about God enough. Hmm. I mean, I think this is what Wells kind of lays out at the beginning of the book, which is we think about God more from the inside than him coming to us from above. And uh, God is so conditioned by our the way we uh, have a therapeutic culture, a moralistic, you know, idea in the church. Mm-hmm. Often, um, 
And yeah, I just, I don't think we think lofty thoughts about God. I think this is one reason why Michael's sermon on Revelation 4 and 5, I think was so foundational and helpful for us as a church to be hearing those kinds of sermons, because we just don't, we don't, we don't think about who God is according to what God has told us in his word. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that the preaching and teaching of someone like John Piper became just uh, vastly impactful to the church, uh, very much for a season it continues on, was because he gave just particular emphasis on who God is and, and his attributes and glorifying him. Yeah, that's a good point. I love that. Like, um, John Piper is someone that the Lord used to recover yeah. like a glorious vision of who God is. Yeah. What about, why did Wells write this book, Mark? Uh, David Wells is writing, uh, particularly starting in the late 80s into the 90s and 2000s, um, to address a concern of why evangelical Christianity has kind of lost its its theological clarity, right? Its emphasis on the theology of who God is. And this book comes later in 2014, after he's written a number of books, to, to really start to emphasize the need to deal with God's holiness— and his love that addresses how we understand Christ in the midst of our culture that is constantly de-emphasizing God or Jesus Christ. And, and so he wants to bring great clarity to uh, this, cent- this central idea of God's holiness as well as God's love uh, together of how those inform us and compel us uh, to follow after Jesus Christ in a culture that is going against Jesus Christ. That's really helpful. And, um, you know, he read, just uh, for sake of um, context, he wrote, was it five books as part of a grant that all kind of fit together? You recommended to the guys that we read uh, No Place for Truth. Yeah. What's No Place for Truth about just kind of off the top of your head? Yeah. So uh, No Place for Truth is the first of the books that he writes, really pressing into uh, what uh, evangelicalism has lost, uh, particularly in the local church, our, our stance on the word of God and the preaching of, uh, the truth of who God is. Um, and, and it is quite the challenge to pastors, um, to pick up that mantle and be ones who are leading the church to hold on to, to the truth of the Bible above all else. Great. That's helpful. Yeah. Dan, as you, uh, thought through this book, um, what, in our culture really shapes our vision of God that would kind of take our, our vision off of the proper aspects of God. Yeah. So that is what's, um, kind of some repeat material from, uh, some of Wells's other books, like no place for truth, but I think he cannot hit on these themes enough. Hmm. And, uh, he's Wells and God in the whirlwind spends the first few, uh, chapters, or certainly in chapter two, talking about this, and I just found him to be right on in this. He, we look in our culture, we think of God as our therapist. It's comfort, healing, and inspiration that we're seeking from Him. Mm. We want our God to be accepting and non-judgmental, um, and we 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 have sacrificed um, the transcendence of God for his imminence. Jesus is our is our homeboy and he is there to to affirm us. Um, and ultimately in our culture we think um, God is to be found within ourselves. 
Um, so I, I love what Wells um, says as a correction to that, that he is not there to conform to us, but we must conform to him. He summons us from outside of ourselves to know him. We do not go inside of ourselves to find him. We are summoned to know him only on his terms. He is not known on our terms. He, this summons is heard in and through his word. It is not heard through our intuitions. Um, further, uh, so that gets a little bit into the solution and mm -hmm. into what he starts saying is the um, kind of the anecdote to um, regaining a, a theological, biblical vision, a glorious vision of who God is and not a God who's remade in our own image. Um, but another thing in our culture that is certainly, I mean, even as I was reading this book, it was a challenge for me, is we just live in a world with so much, well, in our culture, so much prosperity, so much ease, and so much distraction. We have so much information and uh, interruptions coming to us every day that actually, I mean, it's ironic because it makes it hard to read a book like this yeah. as our our phone buzzes, you know, six times as we try to read just a couple pages. Yeah. Yeah. And Wells actually addresses that several times uh, throughout the course of this book. Um, he, he starts out by pointing at really the two challenges that we face, as you've mentioned, but just to like help highlight is culture, that there are going to be cultural norms and things that we as Christians just accept as kind of fact, or this is the way life is, um, which are not necessarily true, but then is also that we're just distracted. There's, mm -hmm. there's so much in this life because later on he's going to talk about what are some of those things that distract us, including technology um, that make us poor readers. Uh, so as we address kind of this objective God, not a subjective God, but a God who is speaking into uh, who we are and how we're redeemed, um, as we think about that idea, Dan, um, how can we bring uh, this objective God who's outside of us into the center of our vision? Well, first, just if we if we um, think about what is it going to take for us to lift our eyes from ourselves, from looking inside of ourselves, mm. from getting away from distraction, I like what Wells says about focus. He says, what then is the alternative to distraction? It is the self-discipline to focus. This means finding the determination to leave aside all of other all of the other interests, the urgent demands, all of the clutter that competes for our attention while we do this. Um, you know, and this, this is a regular, uh, struggle for me. And I'd be interested to hear like maybe how you try to focus on who God is on a regular basis. Mark, one of the things I've tried to do is when I s just, you know, spend time with the Lord in the morning and the word and prayer is I take off my smartwatch, mm -hmm. I put my phone away and, uh, and I try to just spend some time just you know, praying out loud, journaling, praying inside my head and meditating on the word, praying through the church directory. Um, I used to read uh, the Bible on my phone using like a, mm -hmm. an app, but I would get, I would get distracted. I would yep. start checking sports scores. I would start reading the news. I would see an email come through and uh, I don't think it's evil to leave, uh, <laughs> you know, leave a time in the word to, to check a uh, you know, to check a sports score, but it, it is hard to, to have this vision of who God is when you allow the distractions to pull you away from like truly just being still and knowing yeah. that he is God. Anything that you have found just practically helpful in focusing on who God is? Yeah. Similarly, you know, for me, um, it, 
I have a time in the morning um, where my devices are just away. Um, you know, email, text, it doesn't matter what's happening for that time that I'm in the Word and in prayer. Uh, but I would add to that, it, it is helpful for me um, to have other believers, right? Mm. For me to find good gospel conversation with those who are going to turn my attention to God mm-hmm. and, and to be intentional with those conversations. Um, and I, I never want to, like, miss those opportunities mm. to have my fellow church members uh, redirecting my thoughts to who God is to focus on Him, um, which I find that actually part of not being distracted. You know, is one discipline I'm, I really struggle at is constantly checking my phone in the midst of a conversation. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and if somebody texts or emails or whatever, I need to deal with it. And to just focus on that that conversation with that individual. How do we focus our hearts on God and who He is? Um, I think that's really important for us to get better at. I do think you're you're right. We're um, it's a good reminder that you know we are social beings, and we and and leveraging the fact that we crave relationship, and we can use the relationships, particularly within the church, to help us reorient our focus on the Lord. Mm-hmm. I was in I was meeting uh, Trent in the coffee shop the other day, and I noticed there was a group of people who came into the coffee shop, and it looked like. Um, they just sat down at a table and they opened their Bibles. It looked like they were just reading and praying um, each individually, but they came there together. Hmm. And I didn't even recognize them. I don't think they were from Henson. Yeah. And uh, I just was struck like, that's a good, that's a good thing to do, like to help one another, hmm. um, you know, get to, to have time in the Word and time in prayer. It can be hard to be disciplined to do that on yeah. our own. Yeah. And you've similarly, similarly done uh, that where you've met with guys early in the morning. Yeah. Before distractions start. Yeah. To just spend time in the Word. Yeah, I do that from time to time. I'm, I'm currently doing that kind of Monday through Friday with Will Linder yeah. um, at 6 a.m. And I find it helpful. It's a good accountability. It helps me get out of bed. Yep. Because sometimes I'd rather just, <laughs> you know, get an extra few minutes of sleep. Wouldn't we all? Mark, where uh, do we see this holy love of God most clearly? Yeah. So this is really uh, central to what Wells is writing. Um, because he he kind of lays out the need uh, to see who God is, but then he gives us this beautiful picture of the cross and the gospel, where we see both his holiness and his love hand in hand, um, and and therefore not emphasizing one over the other, but realizing how they both speak to the character and person of God, uh, that he's a holy God who displayed love to redeem us to do this work. Uh, on our behalf through Jesus Christ. And and so given this beautiful picture, he just spends quite a bit of time really showing this this picture of the gospel of, of faith and grace in Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation and how Scripture just brings our hearts back to the truth of the cross where Christ died for our sins. And in that is... Uh, where our attention should be turned to the, the glory of who God is and rejoice in, in his work that transforms the way that we live, right? And so he really emphasizes for quite a bit of the central part of this book the, the need to see Christ on the cross and his work on our behalf. Yeah, we're not going to see the holy love of God um, clearly if we, if we misunderstand or if we don't see the cross. And I think our tendency is to pit the holiness against 
God's love or God's love against holiness. And that was one of the things we talked about with the guys last night, like which side do you tend to fall off the wagon on? What about for you? Do you tend to pit God's holiness against his love or the love against the holiness? I think very much uh, like the vast majority of our culture, I tend to emphasize his love over his holiness. But I appreciate, I mean, Wells, he has one simple sentence here in the middle of the book, God both judges and is loving simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a helpful truth to carry into our time in the Word, our time listening to the preaching of the Word, um, our discipleship of one another is, yeah, that God is a holy God who expects his people to live holy, uh, and yet he's the one who loved and redeemed us. And and that should be such a, a beautiful motivator uh, in our own walk with the Lord as we pursue Christ. Amen. So, Dan, as we think about that idea of the centrality of the gospel and the work of the cross, why do we need a moral vision of God rather than just a therapeutic vision? Yeah, I think... In our culture of prosperity, ease, and comfort, when we're kind of seeking to avoid pain and be happy as the, as the main kind of goal of our lives, um, to be comfortable, to be happy, um, I, I think in, in that context, if our main goal is to be happy, we see God as the means to that end. Mm. And he and this is where I think the prosperity gospel can seep in even into evangelicalism. Yeah. And he becomes, as well says, the value for God in this sense is simply his value in re- resolving these internal pains and wounds. But there's no evil in a therapeutic world. There's only pain. But if we just see pain and not the evil of sin, we don't see our need for redemption. Yeah. So like we seek happiness over holiness. And so this is where, once again, just like you were saying, the cross is so central because Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could ultimately in this life be happy, uh, but to redeem us and so that we might be holy and redeem us um, to that holiness that we might be with God. And yes, you know, just like you mentioned John Piper, so that we might delight in him and yeah. be happy in him for eternity. Um, but uh, we can't get the cart before the horse. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, most Christians that listen to this are going to, would agree and affirm this this truth. But what would you say uh, practically? Like, all right, we, we talk about the need not to live therapeutically. Uh is there anything just practically you would encourage Hinson with on how to live that out instead of just thinking big theological thoughts? Like, what does that actually look like when it comes down to living this out? Well, I think we're often told in our culture today that our greatest problems are, you know, maybe how someone has treated us or how we've been victimized in a certain situation. And it's not to deny that there is there is real evil that um, has been done to, to many of us, real wounds that need to be addressed, and counseling and therapy can be really helpful. But I think we need to always remember that our main problem is our sin against a holy God. And so practically what that would mean is that the road to life, um, the road to, to flourishing 
and seeing God for who he is and seeing ourselves, therefore, for who we are, comes through uh, confession, repentance, uh, comes through um, transparency and uh, mourning and rejoicing with those in the church family and in those close relationships. So I think that, and we're and even, God willing, next week we'll have a, an episode with Austin Davis on what does it look like to pursue accountability, yeah. because I just think that so often we don't think the evil within us mm-hmm. is our greatest problem. It's always societal, societal forces, um, societal evil, um, but th- that's because we are broken, yeah. and we need to remember that we're a part of that. Yeah. I think one of the things that stands out to me even in my own life, uh, is, uh, often when I face issues, suffering, pain in this life, I will convince myself if that is resolved, then everything in my life will be better. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that's not what God has ever promised us in scripture in eternity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. in this life is the reality of, you know, first Peter is there's going to be suffering mm-hmm. This is Christ suffered. And therefore it's a struggle, right? Of do I delight in my suffering? Mm-hmm. No, I, I delight in Christ that he has resolved my, my biggest problem of sin, right? If I trust in him. And in that gives me, I think, at least in my life, and I would encourage us to think in terms of it gives us strength to persevere through pain and suffering, uh, knowing that this is part of what our life is about, is the world is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, recently had the chance to teach on Wednesday morning for our Wednesday morning Bible study, uh, Romans 8, you know, and and the groaning of this earth and the groaning of Christians mm-hmm. looking forward to that final day, the, the groaning of the Holy Spirit before God on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And it was all looking towards the consummation uh, of what God promised to accomplish, uh, knowing that we can't just be done with pain and suffering in this life, but yet endure it looking at God, seeing his holy love that has resolved our, our biggest need. And as we consider that, as we consider the, the cross, as we consider who God is and how he has come to, to make provision for our sin, um, the, where Wells kind of concludes his book is meditating on worship. Hmm. And uh, this is something we, th- we thought about. We're recording this on a Friday, this last Sunday, when Michael preached Revelation 4 and 5. Yeah. Um, what is worship? I'll, I'll read Wells because I feel like he does such a great job of making this very tangible to me, uh, something that's not just some great theological idea. Uh, but he talks about worship in these terms of it is coming face to face with God, standing in his presence, bringing forth our praise to him for who he is. You know, th- this is a recognition that God has done a work that we could never do for ourselves and allowing ourselves to respond accordingly, uh, which should be that our, our hearts are only compelled at that point to praise him. What I love about the idea of worship, and even what we thought about in Revelation 4 and 5, is in the turmoil and chaos of this world, we don't get a pass on worship. I don't get to just say, like, I'm going to worship God when things are good. I'm going to worship God when I really feel like it. It's not a feeling. It is compelled in my in my heart in who I am because of of God's transforming work that makes me rejoice and praise Him. And so we see worship, and yes, in song, but worship should be a part of everyday life, right? As Michael was talking about in Revelation, is 
my life should be composed of worshiping God and, and turning my focus to him and others' focus to who he is. You might have just read this, but I remember Michael essentially said, just to underline it once again, worship is primarily an expression of the worth of God. Mm-hmm. And so often, you know, this is this is why we, our greatest problem is we worship the wrong things. We re- worship the created things. We worship ourselves. I, mean, I think Michael said that over and over again. Like, what's the problem? Why Why can't we do this? Is oh, the big problem of me. We're we're so centered around ourselves, and so that's that's one one thing that I so appreciated about this book is it helped me get outside myself for just as I read this to 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 think and consider and even worship as I read a God who has this holy love that has been demonstrated at the cross and justification. What would you say, kind of as we start to, to wrap things up and just con- uh, discussing this book, Mark, what would you say is kind of the central argument of this book, if you had to summarize it? Uh, yeah, that's kind of tough to do because it's a great book. There's so many things to emphasize, but thinking about kind of one big idea that Wells is trying to help communicate here is just the recognition that if I am transformed by the work of God, in my sanctification, as I grow to know him, has to be returning to that central idea that God has done the transforming work and therefore worshiping him as a holy and loving God. And and therefore, I don't accept God and then turn my salvation into something else that's based on feelings or my circumstances, but that once saved through God's grace, I continue to return to the character of God to remind myself this is the work that he is accomplishing in my life, bringing me through all these circumstances to glorify him. And so to boil that down is in my sanctification, returning to the character of God that he is a holy and loving God that compels me to continue to live my Christian life. Well said. I loved how you put that into the context of sanctification, and it's um, and it's when uh, Wells both distinguishes the difference between kind of our our um, our sanctification and our justification that he comes back to. He says uh, the central theme of this book: How should the holy love of God define and shape our sanctified lives? And finally, how will we sustain mm-hmm. a sanctified life in the context of our chaotic and distracted world? And uh, and then he'll go on to say uh, later on, it's. We need to know that God is objective to us, and second, God is above, mm. and it was from above that Christ came to redeem us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's. I would again highly recommend this book. Uh, Mark, what would be one thing from the book that you would want to maybe particularly highlight for our church as we conclude? Like one thing that you thought was good application or a good word for Henson Baptist? Yeah, I, I think. One of the things that stood out to me uh, towards the end of the book, it's this section on worship, is uh, Wells really emphasizes the need for this type of preaching from the pulpit Mm. that is founded in the completed work of Jesus Christ and the full character of who God is, Mm -hmm. that we don't just preach one side of God's holiness or his love, but together what the preaching from, from God's word should be is to emphasize this holy love of God. And and I think that's really key for us as a church. And and praise God, I think we're hearing that, but it is to remind us that we need to keep that at the center of what we're doing uh, on Sunday mornings through the preaching of the word. There's a lot in this book that's really good. Is there anything for you, Dan, that really stood out that you would encourage our congregation with? 
I think one of the things that struck me about this book that was kind of secondary from the main argument, uh, because I think the main reason to to read this book and to consider these things is what we've already talked about, meditating on the holy love of God, meditating on who God is, that he is outside of us, he comes from above to save us, but then how that informs how we love one another. Hmm. So for, for us as a church, I was struck by his discussion on what it looks like to kind of practice agape love, um, because we understand maybe more than ever um, the, the natural way that we love, you know, say, our country, our children, our friends. It's natural to fall in love, but it, Wells says it's not natural to love with agape love, those who are unlike ourselves hmm. or those who offend us or those for whom we have lost all respect for one reason or another or those who speak ill of us or do us other kinds of harm. Um, and I was just... If, if we if we truly understand and meditate on the gospel, the church is going to be this countercultural place where uh, differing opinions, differing perspectives on things like politics, race, COVID response will be swallowed up. Those differences, though real and they're important, and we need to talk about them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's okay to disagree. But if we understand how God reached out to love us, those things should not lead, I think, to division um, and to not being able to fellowship around what God has done in the gospel. And I think it's because the motivation to love, as Wells points out, to love our neighbor, to love our brothers and sisters in the church comes from this overwhelming sense of gratitude for what God has has done. It's we don't love one another because God says love your neighbor. I mean that yep. is that is a, a good enough reason right. in of itself. God tells us. He yep. commands us. <laughs> but um but law will only get us so far. Yeah. And so that's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. And uh and then when we understand the the lengths that he went to love those who were opposed to him in every mm-hmm. way, um I think that gives us the the starting place from which to reach out and in love to those who are on the opposite side of the political aisle who maybe think differently about some of these contentious divisive issues in our culture and even in our congregation so that's i was i was again that was kind of a secondary argument to to wells's that wasn't why he wrote the book um this book was written back what was did you say in 2013 2014 2014 so there was division back in 2014 too but maybe not to the extent that we see today and and this uh, this topic was actually brought up in our discussion last night mm-hmm. with this group, mm-hmm. and and I found the insight really helpful, which is we talked a little bit about what you just addressed, but the other side of that is the cultural love, of kind of the statement of like, well, love is love. It's mm-hmm. it's whatever I feel that it is and define it to be, and and that goes as far as it can until we actually say no, actually. This is what love looks like as seen in God. And now now the culture is going to reject that type of love mm-hmm. because we have a very objective type love to point to, to say, no, this defines all love. Mm-hmm. And and so your emphasis there of saying, yeah, love has to be a part of it, that agape, self-giving love, because we see it defined in, in Christ, in God. Yeah. It's not something we just make up. Yeah. Because if it's just a feeling, 
it eventually that's not going to work out. Right. And don't, and don't, I think what you're saying clarifies a little bit too what I was just saying about agape love to love does not mean to sacrifice truth mm-hmm. because we certainly see that, that that's why Christ suffered yeah. is because we were truly guilty. He didn't say, don't worry about it. Like we're all right. different. We're all, you know, and I'm going to just take care of it. No, he died yeah. to fulfill the righteousness of God. Um, so I'm not saying that we that that these matters of um, you know public policy and uh, different stances on different social issues um, don't matter. Those things should be we, we should talk about those as Christians, but we should talk about them in the context of yeah. hum, with with humility and in the context of the gospel. Yeah. Mark, anything else you want to talk about from Wells's book? Uh, you know, let me just read uh, the last couple of sentences of the book because I think it's a great conclusion. Excellent. Uh, he says, we need a fresh vision of God and his character of holy love. And when we are God-centered in our thoughts, God-fearing in our hearts, when we see with clarity what his character of holy love is like, he begins to have weight in our lives. Right, And that's when the transformation starts in our own hearts. Amen. That's a great place to conclude. Mark, thanks for tag teaming with me on this uh, on this episode. Thanks Hope for the to invite. have you back.